Launch Lab Podcast. This is Rain. I'm Summer. You've been here before, we hope. If not, please listen, enjoy, rate, and subscribe. Follow us on all socials at Launch Left. Launch Left is a space for famed creatives to launch the next wave of music rebels. It's also an intentional space to highlight and empower all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Today, we want to read you a little, uh, our first ever nonprofit sponsor from hashtag schools, not prisons. Schools Not Prisons is the leading brand at the intersection of art, culture, and activism since 2016. Schools Not Prisons has reached millions of people and connected hundreds of artists with grassroots youth-serving organizations across the United States. Schools Not Prisons supports campaigns that are creating a new vision of safety centered on health, healing, and investing in people. Hashtag Schools Not Prisons is produced and managed by Revolve Impact, an award-winning creative agency and content studio that utilizes radical imagination, art, and culture to communicate ideas, connect brands with causes, and advance social change. For more information, visit schoolsnotprisons.us. Please so go rad. there. Please Health, visit. healing, and investing in humans. Right? It's about time. It's, it is about time. We're so happy to have uh, Schools Not Prisons part of Launch Left Podcast. Follow the hashtag Schools Not Prisons. Yeah, and get involved. Uh, we're also happy about our guest. This is a really special guest for us, Mr. Shepard Ferry. Woo! Welcome to our show. Thank we've, you. We've had the great fortune to have you as a friend and fellow artist confidant throughout the years. And to have you on the show and, and actually be able to talk shop is, uh, yeah, extra special. So we can share it with the world. Some of our, some of our offline conversations are now online, as it were. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thanks. Always fun. Summer, you first. You've got the best questions there are. You can't put me on the um, oh, good. spot this like that. First time I've ever put this Summer on the spot that you didn't just jump in. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> hi, Shep. Hey, Summer. So nice to see you. Good to see you, it's too. It's been a second. Um, so uh, seeing as this is a music podcast and you are an artist across the board, um, I wanted to know, though, people mostly know you as a... Um, I would say a fine artist, frankly, but um, they maybe don't know so much about your um, DJing and your love of music and your sharing of music through that forum. And I wanted to know, though, how much um, do you listen to music while you're painting? How much are you inspired by? I'm listening to music as much as I can. And a lot of times um, while I'm working on art or design, there's music on. And I actually get irritable when there are periods where I need to just talk to other human beings and not listen to music. Um, I don't think I'm maybe as, as quite as much of a fanatic as Henry Rollins. I've been reading his fanatic book where he's um, he's got a routine and it's almost like like his workout routine. And he's talking about music as, as carbs and that's music <laughs> he already knows and loves and music as protein and that's new music. Um, and, you know, he sets aside time. I do it a little more organically than that, but I very much relate to his fanaticism. Um, music is a huge inspiration for me in, in terms of how it evokes images and makes me think about topics. Um, and there are not a lot of art forms that have that dichotomy between 
um, feeling and thinking in the same way that music does. And so I've taken that model and tried to apply that to my, my visual art that maybe, um, you know, the, the aesthetic equivalent of a good, of a good melody or a good beat to draw you in, but then the aesthetic equivalent of a good lyric to make you think, um, music is, is basically my model. It's very accessible. It's very democratic. And so it's a tremendous, um, uh, you know, inspiration for everything I do. And it's just woven in, into my life. I incorporate lyrics into art that I make and people are like, those plagiarized from black flag, yo. Um, and I say, <laughs> say, no, it's inspired by black flag and it's a, it's a nod, a tribute to black flag. Were you ever in bands as a kid or did you want to be in a, in ba in a band? Was that um, part of your trajectory? The funny thing is, you know, so much when you're, in eighth grade is sort of uh, who you hang out with and then just timing, coincidence, you're, you're forming. So all my friends that uh, I was skateboarding with, um, they for, the other four people, they decided to, to form a band and then there was no spot left for me. So I did more skateboarding and went to their band practice sometimes. And they were doing covers of stuff like uh, of Anarchy in the UK by the Sex Pistols and playing some REM songs, which, you know, in 1984, that was, that was fairly progressive. Um, and I, I loved it, but um, it just uh, didn't happen that they were like, hey, we need a bassist. Right. You know, and, and so uh, I collected records and I was really into just devouring new music all the time. But, um, but it wasn't until I was 31 that I started DJing. And that was because I always thought that DJs stuck to one genre. I thought you're a hip hop DJ, you're a dance hall DJ, you're a techno DJ. Um, and then I heard this guy Z Trip and he was mashing up, you know, different genres and is technically the creator of the mash up as a, as a term. Um, but, you know, blending everything from classic hip hop to electro to, you know, Glenn Campbell and, and making it all really, really uh, work well together and make you want to dance to it and, and pump your fist to it. You know, he's, he's sort of the predecessor to girl talk. Do you know girl talk stuff? No, girl talk is, you know Z -trip. yeah, but, um, it's just, you're showing your age, Summer. I know. Um, uh, but anyway, I, uh, that, you know, I fell in love with his ability to blend all these genres and, and have it be an unexpected journey where there's a blend of what's familiar and then, whoa, this came in from left field, but this actually really works well. Left of center, Shepard. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, and so I, um, yeah, I, luckily was working on a project for a, a DJ movie called Scratch and got to know Z Trip and some of the other DJs that were involved in that project. And when we talked about music, Z Trip said, man, you've got a big record collection. You've got great taste. Just start DJing. And, and so he gave me some tips and I had some other friends that were DJs and I just fell in love with it. To me, it was kind of like audio graphic design where if graphic design um the idea is that you're taking um 
some predetermined elements and typography and, and, uh, you know, having to put all these things together and you can do it well where it's really appealing, or if you don't do it right, it's pretty bland. Um, but it goes through a lot of experimentation, finding the ingredients that I knew I liked to DJ, um, or, you know, would like to play and then figuring out how they blend together. Well, it was such an exciting process of trial and error and figuring things out. It was so rewarding. I, I almost, um, became more interested in doing that in my free time than doing art for a while because, you know, art, art is something I've done my whole life and music was, it was a mystery to me. It wasn't a mystery in how it made me feel. And I understood some things about structure, but just, you know, to me, it seemed like magic that music just happens. And then when I started DJing a lot, I started to break down how things work in music and it became a lot less intimidating, which was a really cool thing. What's your DJ name, Shep? (laughs) (laughs) It's really goofy, but it wasn't, it was given to me um, when I was just the selector in the office picking records to play or Mm -hmm. whatever. And they started, because I'm a type one diabetic, my my crew started calling me DJ diabetic. Just because because of the alliteration. Great DJ name. And, um, and and then so you know I I came up with the slogan for DJ diabetic um, skipping the jelly but bringing the jams. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Nice one. Um, back to your irritation when there is no music. Um, I think you said something about like. Um, not that you were irritated by the silence of no music, but that you were irritated by having to possibly talk to people. Is that only when you're working or because, or is that like a social thing as well? I mean, cause you're pretty damn social or, or at least you have to be. I, I've developed um, that side of my personality to fit in with how most of the world works. I don't, I wouldn't say I'm antisocial, but I really enjoy focusing on creating things, having some, you know, some solitude and having, having a soundtrack to that, but not being interrupted. And I frequently DJ my own art openings because even though small talk is something that I think is really important to to do with people who are fans. It might be the only interaction they ever have with me. If I have an excuse to not do it for four hours, I'm really happy. (laughs) And I know that I'm controlling what we're all listening to. And and if I'm happy, then, you know, hopefully other people dig it, but that's what's important. And I think that's actually a really great part of, you know, I love that aspect to your gallery shows is, I know I'm going to get to hear Shepard's selection, DJ (laughs) diabetic selection. And it's always awesome. So oh, thank you. Now, type one diabetes is you were born with it. Is that um, is that the difference well, between no, two and one? Two is when your pancreas just isn't able to handle the volume of sugar or st- carbs you're putting into your body um, to process it with with the insulin to make enough insulin, and therefore people run high blood sugars, which is really bad for your vascular system. Type 1 diabetics don't make any insulin. And, and you can develop diabetes as a baby, and, that, and that's really hard work for the parents if that happens. But it's, um, it's usually triggered by an autoimmune response to a virus, an overly aggressive autoimmune response. So um, when I was 16, I got 
the flu, one of the serious ones where, you know, you're, you're in bed and your joints ache and you're really incapacitated. And apparently at that time, my body attacking that, that virus um, was overly aggressive and destroyed all the lymph nodes in my pancreas that make insulin. And so uh, a few weeks went by and I was um, tired and had to pee all the time and was losing weight. And um, <laughs> I was a sophomore in high school and I always wanted to use the ability to get out of school for something I wanted, like, oh, I didn't, I didn't um, write a paper I needed to write or I have a test I didn't study for. So I'm going <laughs> to, <laughs> dad, I don't feel good today. So when I actually didn't feel good, but I didn't have a good excuse to try to, uh, that I needed, um, I didn't say anything. So then finally my vision started to get blurry and that's when I got mm. worried and asked, my dad's a doctor and said, dad, there's some weird stuff going on. He said, you're probably diabetic. He said it, he called it right wow. away. We went to his office, did a, you know, a, a urine stick to see what the glucose was in my, in my urine. He was like, oh, whoa, that's off the charts. Then we checked my blood sugar. It was 600, which normal is 100. Oh, man. And, um, so you have to do insulin shots or. Yeah, I have an insulin pump and, um. I've had that since 2003. Prior to that, I, I did shots. And it's a tricky thing to manage. But prior to 1936, I would have been dead. So I'm... Right. Um, yeah. Way Perfect. to reframe it. Perception. Yeah. <laughs> Great perception. Speaking yeah. of reframing or just uh, your, you know, we talked about music a little bit and uh, art. We we didn't really talk about art, but, but that's sort of what you're known for. And I feel like people can find all um, your visual art and everybody's a huge fan of that. But something that I really love talking with you about um, is your activism and, you know, how you use your art as and activism to, you know, how you're an artist activist, how you join the two. Um, I guess I'm just curious what what's current for you? What's 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 currently driving your activism? Yeah, well, to bring it uh, back to music, music was the model that I followed there too, because heroes of mine like um, Bob Marley, Public Enemy, The Clash, they were the Dead Kennedys, um, Bikini Kill. They're all using their music to say something socially and politically. And um, I think when you're in high school, you want to you wanna do whatever it takes to seem cool and and progressive or at least i did and being into politics seemed really square but being into social commentary and politics the way it was delivered through music seemed very cool so um you know i never would have gone to this you know sort of uh 60s uh beatnik hippie guys little store and and gotten the stop the arms race, not the human race sticker and stuck it on my parents' station wagon. And then my dad being really mad about it and trying to get it off. And it was hard to get off. Um, unless I was listening to the dead Kennedys and the clash that would have been that, you know, that would have not been interesting to me. So, um, was that your sort of first rebellion is like, say the, you know, Andre, the giant sticker, uh, placing that all around town was that a sort of like was that your political rebellion 
As stemming from putting it on your father's station wagon, a sticker on your father's station wagon and him being like trying to get it off and not being happy about it. <laughs> well, it, it, the funny thing about the Andre sticker was that was just kind of a happy accident that was totally absurd. But I realized that it, um, it was like a Rorschach test where some people were amused by it and some people were irritated by it. So you sort of got a quick snapshot of somebody's personality by their reaction. And, um, I also, around the same time I made the original Andre sticker was making these stickers that was a, a cop grabbing a kid with a, with a skateboard that said, prevent police boredom skateboard. And, um, <laughs> and that's, awesome. that's amazing. Yeah. How come am I just have my, has my head been in the sand? How come I've never even heard of that? Or, well, I, I made that in 1989 and can then you I bring it back. I, please? I, I did. A, I did a reissue print of it. Um, <laughs> A, f a few years ago um, when we did a, a, a skateboard themed show in our gallery. But um, so, you know, that, that was, I was a skateboarder and that was political in the sense of why did the police bother harassing skateboarders so much? It's like, it's now I know it's low hanging fruit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you right. know, they're, right. it's not, they, they, they aren't taking any real risks there, yeah. but um, the, um, the the path into political art also was it was inspired by say what winston smith did graphically for the dead kennedys or what jamie reed did for the sex pistols or some of what raymond pettibone was doing for black flag but also um what barbara kruger does do you know barbara kruger's work she's yeah. the your body is a battleground with black and white image with so the you know red bar um and then there was another artist named Robbie Canal, who was putting posters up in LA of uh, Reagan during Iran Contragate that said Contra above and Diction yeah. below. Yeah. And the dead Kennedys were always skewering Reagan. So Reagan as a target, I was, you know, that was, that was a uh, exciting territory for me and seeing what, what Robbie was doing, putting these posters on electrical boxes all around downtown LA. Um, I happened to be on a field trip from Idlewild where I was doing my senior year of high school at an art boarding school into the city and saw those around downtown on our way to Mocha. And, um, and so, you know, I, me being um, in art school and, and, you know, taking art with the capital A somewhat seriously, but also being like, yeah, but that's kind of elitist, bro. Um, <laughs> Fuck the system. Yeah. I was, um, you know, seeing, I was like, all the cool arts out on the streets, you know, look at what this guy's you doing. You weren't wrong. I know. I didn't know his name, but I was really moved by, by those pieces. So that was an early inspiration for me that, um, you know, it, it took a while to sort of coalesce um for me making the same kind of work but it was the seed was planted um what am i doing now um now this year i'm doing a collaboration with the aclu where i'm going to paint murals in battleground states and do voter registration parties very cool for all those and one of them is tying into I your heard, mom's project. I heard about in that. Cool. I heard about so. that. I heard her talk. Actually, I spent the last few days with her, and I heard her on the phone talking about the building where you were going to do the like finding the best one that had a great light at night. She was having a whole conversation with Very somebody. Cool. So, so that so was the first excited. time I heard that, and I was like, "What? That's so awesome!" And you're going to kind of tour 
and and do and paint um, and do your murals in Battleground State. So you're gonna like hit the road with this sort of. Yeah, because that's such a great I, I idea. Think- 2020 is a very crucial election. I think every election is crucial, but I mean, look look at what we're dealing with. It's total insanity and incompetence. Um, And, and, and it's, it's mean. Um, I just yesterday, I was rereading what Alex Kapranos from Franz Ferdinand wrote about Trump when Franz Ferdinand um, recorded the song Demagogue and asked me to create the visuals for it. And year was that? 2016. It was a few months before the election and um, or maybe even just maybe maybe like six weeks before the election, they put it out. But um, but everything that he said, it, it he released a statement and it says a demagogue is and it's, you know, but um, d- uninterested in the common good, only out for themselves, et cetera, et cetera. Everything that he said about Trump that maybe at the time even seemed slightly hyperbolic has Come. been borne out, you know, 10 times over. And I want to repost that because I I think there's a fine line between being um, concerned and cautionary and, and, and seeming hysterical and apocalyptic. But I was, um, you know, I was trying to trying to not come across as somebody. It's time you know, for hysteria, though. Yeah, because it is. apocalypse as is some, upon somebody us. that was that was just, um, you know, a melting down snowflake. Yeah. I never want to feed into that narrative, but um, the uh, you know, everything I thought and everything that Alex Capranos thought about um, about Trump is. It's been way worse even, and and we had pretty dire predictions. But I, I like, um, Alex Kapranos is really smart. I, I don't know whether you like Franz Ferdinand's music or not, but- Of course. He's, um, and he's a very kind person. I, you know, when I look at role models in the world, this is a guy who manages to balance being witty and make great music and, and, and cool to his girlfriend and stylish with also being incredibly thoughtful and generous. So stop talking really about yourself, Shepard. I know. I mean, Sounds like you're reading your own <laughs> oh, come resume. On. Um, <laughs> come on. The only difference well, is wife instead of girlfriend. Any, yeah. Anyway, I, um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I like, it feels really nice to connect with people like that in the world that um, that make all the insanity feel abnormal rather than normal. Like there are people who mm-hmm. are still sane around. How do you do with going to, have you, I, I assume you've done this before, but maybe not, gone to battleground states, painted a mural. I'm sure people come up and talk to you or ask questions. And some of them are not on, uh, let's say, your side of the political field or you know how do you how do you manage that and how do you feel about that and 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 yeah how 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 is that experience for you because i'm sure you've had a few run-ins um yeah i have and um i've evolved my strategy a bit from when i was younger (laughs) when i was younger i loved to be confrontational agitational because it was the first assertion of me being different than the status quo. And I needed to, um, you know, I, I needed to stand up for myself and, and like, you know, carve out my, you know, my, my 
philosophical territory in a way that people could understand. But now I realize that that frequently is a beacon to people that agree with you, but not a way to affect, change the attitudes of people you disagree with. Now what I've been doing with my art and with my, the way I communicate with people is that I try not to put people on the defensive. I take what I call a Trojan horse approach. You know, I offer them a gift. They let me in the gates. <laughs> um, and it's a, uh, with the art, I'm always trying to make sure that there's something that has an undeniable visual appeal, a humanity, something that just is, is universal if possible. Yeah. And that, you know, there's, there's no way to, uh, Not to that's, that's um, yeah. subjective. So there's right. no way to always achieve that. But, um, and then once, you know, once you're, you're, you're uh, lured, seduced, um, engaged, then there's all these uh, other things that sometimes it's a, I have little vignettes that are humorous. Sometimes I have newspaper articles. Sometimes I, you know, I have other symbols or verbiage that's um, topical or subversive. But um, I found that to be a much more effective approach because people respond to art emotionally. They respond to music emotionally. But then if you're, if you have a very positive emotional experience you want to justify that intellectually, and and so um, that retrofitting process is where I can I can move the needle. I think that's wonderful. I mean, I've, I'm guessing that you've had more success with your new strategy than uh, one of uh, agitation and, and force in the past. Your youth version, correct? I think so. Yeah, and one of the first images I learned the effectiveness of that with is was the hope poster for Obama because it's, you can say, uh, I don't agree with Obama's policies, or you can say, um, I, I'm, I'm not a Democrat, but really in, in terms of the feel of the poster, there's really nothing to attack. And so I, I applied that, what I think was successful about that to, other portraiture around immigration, around Islamophobia, xenophobia, uh, around uh, environmental destruction, just the the relatable human um, side that you know that that this this is a person who maybe doesn't have the same religion I have or was born in the same country, but there's 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 something appealing about them. They're hard to hate. And using portraiture in that way in a lot of my work and then using symbols like flowers and waves and all these things that are very cliche, but when rendered in a way that isn't cliche, it's a, you're, you're, I think I'm able to find something that is a a relatable reference point, but also doesn't feel totally uh, boring or worn out. And it's tricky. It's tricky oh, yeah. all of to balance the, your, that. All of your art is so layered and so many different ideas brought into one. How long does it take you to create the piece in your mind, you know, from start to finish? And and do you often just know when it's finished and how? <laughs> um, I'm sure that, Rain, you go through this with songwriting that – um. You have an inspiration. Sometimes maybe it just flows. Other times a part works. And then um, 
it's hard to finish the rest of it, but I, um, I experiment relentlessly. I also create parts of things that I'm happy with, set them aside and then work on something else. And frequently when I'm creatively blocked on one thing, working on something totally unrelated, uh, expands, uh, you know, the horizon again. And I find the solution through this other project I'm doing that I think is unrelated, but, but, you know, yeah things bounce around and then bam, I've got, I've got it. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's, it's a fast process. There've been strong pieces that I've made in a day. And then there've been other things that take weeks or months even where I set something aside, don't know how I'm going to use it. And, uh, and then I'm working on something else literally months later and I go, Oh, Oh, I know. Yeah. And uh, sometimes I just hear a song or I'm out in the street and I see uh, some aspect of architecture or a, a painted sign or, you know, or even a, a billboard about something almost completely unrelated, but there's a uh, something in a, in a tagline or a weird juxtaposition that just triggers how I could solve a, a problem in something I'm doing. And, uh, and, so keeping my my eyes open and um you know and, and a lot of things moving creatively all the time helps me to work through this but um there's a lot of juggling for me and it that sounds contradictory because I also I like to focus but I also know that if I get um creative block on something I'm focusing on that I can just move to focus on another thing and eventually the the solution will emerge it sounds like over time you've you've really discovered how you you know how you work best too. It's interesting. Do you have that same feeling that with songwriting uh, to to go off what you said earlier when you know you, like that song is done? And I think Summer kind of echoed that too. Like when do you know it's done? Like do you have that thing where you're like, whoa, done? Walk Some, away. Sometimes I do, and it's um, it's it's very paradoxical because I trust my instincts, but at the same time, I, when I, when I get to where I'm happy with something, I go, this is too good to be true. <laughs> Let me try 20 other things. And then I go back to where it just felt right. <laughs> so, so, um, you know, every now and then I've come up with, uh, after the additional, experimentation come up with something that i think is slightly better but more often i go back to what i already really liked a lot but in that additional experimentation another version or an offshoot has has presented itself and so sometimes that can be a really rich vein of you know of experimentation and i assume that you know, musically you don't want all the songs to be structured the same or um use this use the same tricks um but you you develop a a, a set of tools as you yeah. play more and more and more and then knowing where you can branch off to use any of those techniques that you've developed is also really valuable um i love that i have 30 years now in art making and i have a lot of techniques but the one thing i'm always afraid of is because I have so many things that I already know how to do, not pushing myself. So I'm always, I'm always trying to push myself and the, you know, the idea of, um, my pride, my art project, the Obey Giant project, that's got recurrent motifs and, and colors, um, so that 
the cumulative effect of the project is part of its power, not just the individual imagery. That's important right. to me. Mm -hmm. But I also don't want people to get bored, so I'm always trying to evolve it. But you know, unlike some artists where they do one body of work and it's this concept and these aesthetics, and then the next body of work looks totally different. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't work that way. I evolve. Um, I evolve, but keep some. You know, some things that are recognizable about my work always in the new body of work. Even if you look at some of the stuff I'm doing right now, and then you look at stuff that I did in the very beginning. If you didn't know what was in between, if you hadn't followed it, you might not necessarily see the connection between the two. But in any, in, in any say, you know, period of three, five years, you, you'll be able to see the relationship between the pieces. Um, cool. Not to go, not to beat a dead horse or whatever they say, but I was, um, when you were talking about diabetes, I had originally asked about that just because, you know, I think that number one, it's something that afflicts many, 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 many people. And I'm always interested in the idea between adversity and creation, right? And, and our art. And I wonder, and I, I've never heard you talk about it. And I just don't know if it, if you have found that it at all if, has affected your art or how you've gone about creating, or if it just in your mind has just never been connected at all. One of the things that happened right away when I got diabetes that um, my dad being a doctor and also not being a warm and fuzzy person, <laughs> he said, well, the good news son is that you can live with this disease. The bad news is you might live 20 years less than most people. And um, wow. so I just felt the clock was ticking from the moment I was diagnosed. And that's always been in the back of my mind mm -hmm. that I don't want to waste time. I want to produce as much as I can. And every now and then it's an unhealthy obsession, mm -hmm. the amount that I want to put out. Last year I did eight big <clears throat> Last year I did eight big art shows and um, murals in every city. Oh, it was e extremely, extremely busy and stressful. I was working until two o'clock in the morning every night and you know wor working weekends. It, it, was, it was hard on me, it was hard on my family. And I realized that even though it's important for me to get a lot done that if I can't be comfortable in my, in my life, if I'm just dealing with intense stress every day, not being a good friend and partner and father to, you know, my wife and kids, um, then that's not cool. I, I got to, I got to cut back. I got to find a better balance. Yes. Because a huge part of your value is in those roles that you play as well, not just the artist. Yes. And, um, I read this really big book about uh, Che Guevara and how he was the most Spartan and dedicated activist in Cuba. Fidel Castro was irritated with him for making him look bad because Che worked so hard, <laughs> but he was not good to his family. He would try to enlist his family to do volunteer work on the weekends and, you know, carrying bags of grain and whatever, shoveling. And, and, uh, and it was because his entire sense of self was wrapped up into, you know, how to 
how to build the nation and be a role model for those and values. He was very sick as a child. Yes, right? yes. And I, I, I realized that I have a little bit of that in me um, that I need to manage properly. That um, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm quite as uh, ego driven as as Shay might have been, even though he was his ego was completely wrapped up into doing things that were supposedly for the, the people, yeah. for the nation. But um, I, yeah, I can't be a hypocrite. I've got to be, I've got to, I've got to treat my family the way um, my, I project my values to the world. Mm -hmm. I'm going to send us right back. I love what you said to music because I know you sent ahead uh, a few things for us to take a listen to. And I'd love you to just talk about those those artists um, and why you like their songs or their records. Um. Sure. Um, well, I sent three things. I, I was told send one, but I wanted you to be able to listen. No, to I stuff. know. And I did. I would check them all out and was like, well, they're all really great. That's a hard, that's hard to pick one. Um, but I wanted to hear, you know, one thing we can do is have you talk about all of them sure, on sure. air and then we can, we can find one that'll, uh, you know, well, for you to officially launch or, or not. You, um, when, it, when it comes to truly emerging, there's two acts that I picked. One is, um, Velvet Starlings fronted by, I think he's 16 now. He was 15 when that song was recorded, so great, that song. uh, sold down the river. So the song is called sold down the river. Did and I get sent this too? Yeah. And I just haven't had a chance to look God, at it. I don't know. I think okay. so. Let's but, assume you did, but okay. then you can yell at me later. Okay, great. For um, now. But the, yell the, at me now. Yell at me now. No. I mean, the, uh, he's into um, he's into Arctic Monkeys. He's into um, he's into lots of great stuff. He'd How do never, you know him? Is this a kid from your community? Or? No, he he lives in Chico, California, and I painted a mural there, and he liked it. Was it's a um, peace and equality um, mural and. He wanted to film part of his video in front of it for the song. And so he sent me the song. I was like, I'd be honored if you recorded, if you did part of the video in front of this mural, because you're, you're like a, a young, like Alex Turner from Arctic Monkeys mixed with Dylan or something, you know? Um, and he, uh, he's come to LA and perf uh, performed at the hi hat. Um, Rodney Bingenheimer was putting, some of his music on his K-Rock show, which is now at like four in the morning or something, unfortunately. Um, but I was just moved by how thoughtful and talented he was for somebody so young. I did not have my shit together like that at age 15, 16. I, you know, I had some, I think, developed ideas about the world, but they hadn't manifested in creation like that yet. Right. It's just incredible. And then... Um, the other band is um, core songwriters are, are two women um, named uh, Taylor Blackwell and Harley Quinn Smith, who is Kevin Smith's daughter. Yeah. And um, they love um, they love Bikini Kill and they love um, uh, um, Hole. So and the funny thing is that, um, you know, those two had beef, but uh, but they're like, but we like both and we. <laughs> You know, um, like two, we like Tupac and Biggie, you know, yeah, um, but, like um, but anyway, um, that they, song is fun. Yeah. They, yeah. they, they did this song called, um, 
I will not make any boring art, which is a slight paraphrase of a John Baldessari art piece. He yeah. did a piece with right. yes, the words repeated. And um, Taylor Blackwell really loves um, Keith Haring and she likes my work. She came up to me at the um, Johnny Ramone tribute and was like, hey, and she was wearing like a military jacket with really cool pins on it. And um, and she started talking to me about about art and she knew a lot. And and I said, um, Oh yeah, you know you you know a lot for um, a younger person. How old are you? And she goes twenty. And I was like, oh my god, I had no clue about a lot of that stuff at at age twenty. I, I still don't. So I, it was that then they you know they they made this art that's sort of in the Riot Girl. I mean this uh, song that uh, I will not make boring art in the Riot Girl vein. It's cool. The band is called the Tenth. And um, what does that refer to? Do you know? I don't know what it refers to. You gotta I mean, refer to something. Do I you need think to. And yeah, like well, yeah, they're, it's they're, not a random. Yeah. yeah, I don't think anything is. Um, well, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, the first thing I thought was, um, you know, when you're being, you're being, uh, picked for sports, like yeah. you're not my first choice. You're my tenth. Yeah. <laughs> you're the um, last one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The um, it, uh. They they seem very self deprecating and like they have a, a a sense of humor about um, popularity and perception and everything. So I'm just speculating, but I'll have to ask. Maybe they'll hear this and be like, "You idiot!" <laughs> um, but that's that's part of the fun of this Definitely. stuff. Definitely, it's art. It's open to interpretation. Yeah. And then the other thing you mentioned was a Deep Valley Flaming Lips collaboration, right? Yeah. Which I and, just and love hearing. Lips. So thank you for, yeah. I, I saw something about that and I probably listened to a little, but that made me like really. Well, the reason I, I, um, such a cool I brought that in was because, you know, some things are new to me and Deep Valley, I only discovered about a year ago, even though they've been around since like 2011 or something, but, um, but they Deep Valley is channeling a lot of stuff I like. They have um, a bit of White Stripes, Yeah Yeah Yeahs, Led Zeppelin, a pinch of Black Sabbath. It's very rocking for a two piece, and they're funny. Their album titles are Sistrionics and Femigism, <laughs> <laughs> and um, so there's you know there's a, a, a a girl power thing that's really cool there with them. And, um, but I also love the flaming lips. I yeah. love how they've gone in so many different directions over the years and they're eras that I like more than others, but it's all, it's all really fun and strong and, and courageous. So of course they wanted to collaborate with deep Valley and it's a really beautiful song that's, different from a lot of the other deep valley stuff and you can hear the flaming lips influence but it also doesn't sound exactly like the flaming lips so it's it's one of those collaborations that's truly um collaboration you know, yeah and 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 yielding something that's not necessarily better but at least um different in an exciting way from what either band would do by themselves and um so I, I, I was excited by that because it's new. I think there's a whole album in the works. That's what a woman at Amoeba, when I was talking to her about, mm. about Deep Valley, um, she said, oh, yeah, they're doing a whole album with the Flaming Lips collaborative oh, album. Awesome. So there's only the one song out now, but um, I'm, I'm excited to hear the rest of the album. 
Uh, just quickly, your daughters, do you, um, have they taken on any of your creative pursuits as they're growing older? Or are they finding, do you see them trying to sort of find their voice? Can you relate to where they're at in their lives at their ages uh, back to when you were that age? Or do you feel like they've come so much further than you in many ways um, than you were at their ages? You know, did any of that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um they're both creative. They do these fashion classes where they draw the designs, they work on the patterns, they choose the fabrics, they sew the clothes, they design their own logos, they get up and they model the stuff, they talk about it. So, wow, the, so the, cool. um, incredibly creative. And the garments they're making are beautiful. They're really really well done they work um with with counselors it's a a place called the unincorporated life you know it on western yeah right? yeah, yeah western close to santa monica mm -hmm. and um the just to see how they work through this whole creative process and talk about it i'm very impressed by that they you know they're put into a situation where they're forced to focus on it which i think is is good so important. because the thing i worry about with them is their attention spans yeah. they have so many distractions i'm grateful that there was no cool technology when Me i was too. when i was in <laughs> grade school middle school high school because when I would get in trouble for staying out too late or throwing water balloons at cars, all the usual stuff. Um, <laughs> my parents would just put me on restriction. I'd be in my room and I would just draw or cut stencils, listen to music, draw, cut stencils. Uh, when I was younger, it was build um, model airplanes. Wow, cut stencils, really? That was, I mean, that, that makes perfect sense for the Shepherd Fairy artist I know today, but I couldn't imagine being a child and that being like, I mean, sure, markers, pencils, paper, but cutting stencils. Yeah. Once I, I, I think I cut my first stencil in eighth grade. It was, uh, why? It, like what was the original inspiration? I, I, got a, I got a skateboard that was, um, I started skateboarding in eighth grade and I got a skateboard that was, you know, kind of on cool graphics. So, um, the, I'm older than you are, but you might remember the, when, when, um, fluorescence whether it was madonna or yeah, the yeah, b52s yeah. or whoever day everybody glow. was using using yeah. day glow mm -hmm. um so a lot of the punk acts were you know were, were using some of that too and so i was just like man this board graphic is so uncool i'm gonna paint over it and then just spray paint the thrasher logo on it but i gotta learn how to cut the thrasher logo so first stencil thrasher logo that's so cool second stencil sid vicious um and then as you do yeah and then and then it just you know kept going because much like the good fortune of not having youtube and social media and everything back then charleston south carolina where i'm from also didn't have any way to get cool punk threads so i had to just make, make my them. own t-shirts and right. whether it was a uh, homemade skateboard t-shirts or, or or punk t-shirts i was just making stencils and this was also where my the the my my first uh entrepreneurial spark happened i wore my homemade sex pistol sid vicious shirt to school 
And two people in the hallway were like, hey man, where'd you get that shirt? Yeah. And um, I said, yeah, I made it. And they're like, do you have any more? So the next time, instead of just making one, I bought the three pack of white undershirts and I made three and sold wow. two. The dawn of Obey. <laughs> the dawn of Obey, the clothing brand. That's incredible. So thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much. There's so many more questions I want to ask you, and I guess it'll have to wait till next time. Thanks for being on the show, Thank Shepherd. you so much for coming We love in. what you do in the world. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm Shepard Ferry on Launch Left. I want to launch a couple of younger artists. Um, first, I want to launch the Velvet Starlings. I'm friends with the singer-songwriter Christian Gisborne, who wrote a fantastic song called Sold Down the River about his disappointment with um, promises undelivered from politicians. We've been waiting such a long time at the station Every kind of trial and tribulation We've been poor We've been so We've been searching for a diamond in a coal mine We've been praying for a single ray of sunshine
the second song I would like to launch is called I Will Not Make Any More Boring Art by the 10th. Uh, Harley Quinn Smith and Taylor Blackwell are the main songwriters. There's a couple of other people in the group whose names I don't know. I love this song because it's a reference to John Baldessari, a great visual artist. I'm a visual artist myself. <laughs> and it's very much in the bikini kill whole vein. Schools Not Prisons is the leading brand at the intersection of art, culture, and activism. Since 2016, hashtag Schools Not Prisons has reached millions of people and connected hundreds of artists with grassroots youth-serving organizations across the United States. Hashtag Schools Not Prisons supports campaigns that are creating a new vision of safety centered on health, healing, and investing in people. Hashtag Schools Not Prisons is produced and managed by Revolve Impact, an award-winning creative agency and content studio that utilizes radical imagination, art, and culture to communicate ideas, connect brands with causes, and advance social change. For more information, visit schoolsnotprisons.us. Launch Left aims to create an intentional space that highlights and empowers all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Launch Left begins with music, but its ultimate aim is to launch left-of-center artists in all creative fields. Who's that?